Welcome to the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by Interay Life Sciences Consulting. In this podcast, you'll hear from leaders in the life sciences industry, how they grew into their current roles, the lessons they learned along the way, and advice for those aspiring to follow in their footsteps. I am the host. My name is Mike Ferletic, and I'm the CEO of Interay Life Sciences Consulting. At Interay, we help leaders orchestrate the positive change they want to see in their organization. Are you ready to be recognized for your leadership success? Take a listen. Okay, welcome to our podcast. This is the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast powered by Entere. I am your host, Mike Verletic. I'm the president of Entere Consulting. Excited to be here today. And I have my wonderful co-host, Courtney Boudreau. Say hello, Courtney. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Good, good. We'll get to introduce our guest in just a moment, but wondering what you've been up to lately, Courtney. I've been recovering from my catastrophe that happened. Oh my goodness. Two weeks ago. Yeah. So as you know, and listeners, you might be clued into this. I just moved out. So I got my own place. I'm super happy living in Huntington Harbor. And because I'm in this lovely one bedroom by myself, I wanted an animal. I wanted a pet, a little animal only. Definitely not another person around, but a cat or something would be nice. So I went online, I found this really beautiful Siamese cat that was advertised as a kitten. And I thought it was so pretty, seemed like a good fit, young, vaccinated, male, all of that stuff. So I went and adopted this cat and the lady from the rescue said, he's pretty shy, so he might take some time to come around, which I was okay with, but I got the cat and he was not shy. He was a devil. Um, he was the worst cat I've ever seen in my life. He would like hiss and scratch. He would attack me. He hid behind the toilet and jumped up and bit me on Monday. And I think that was like the final straw of, I love animals, but just not this one. So he went back to the rescue, which they took him back. And that was nice. And he went to go somewhere where he was happier and I'm happier that I don't have that cat living around my apartment. I think he was rescued twice. (laughs) Once from me? That's right. Once from you. Yeah. He was, I don't know. God bless that cat because he needs it. It's a young vaccinated male. That sounds like almost like dating advice these days as well. Yeah. Young vaccinated male. (laughs) Should take that advice too. It's in, uh, in, in today's day and times. Maybe that would be good. So. You know, I found them the same way I always find them, like online. That's right. Finder, dating sites. It's like there you go. perfect. It's only we can get anything anymore. Awesome. So, so what have I been up to? You ask. I've been just trying to recover from vacation. It feels like it's been a month now, but went on vacation, and you can kind of hear the nasally tone in my voice. As many vacations result in a a nice little cold. We went to Las Vegas and Disneyland, two very low populated areas, and I managed to have a lot of fun. My daughter had a dance competition in Las Vegas, and we just enjoyed some great family time at Disneyland. But uh, lots of people, lots of germs, I think, running around, got to pick up a little uh, illness and still fighting that off. But can't complain too much. It's really obviously a good time to get away and enjoy other parts of the country and and be able to do that again, I think is probably the best thing given the last uh, year and a half that we haven't been able to travel quite as much and enjoy the fun stuff out there. So what kind of dance does your daughter do? 
My daughter does just about every kind of dance you can think of. She does contemporary, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, musical theater, all of them. So pretty amazing how she does and learns all these different routines and then goes on stage in front of literally hundreds, maybe thousands of people and performs them. So uh, just the stage fright is is a, a challenge, I think. So Yeah, I used to, I was on dance team when I was in middle school and I grew up dancing and then in high school, I switched over to cheerleading. But those competitions are all day long and they're, they're draining on everybody involved. So. Yes. So you know exactly what we go through every year. Yeah. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Fact. I'll have someone to talk about all my dance escapades. There is a dad's dance video out there somewhere that could be incriminating as well. So. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm also like the FBI, so I guarantee you I will find that. And we'll show it at the Christmas party. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> Got a good part in this year's dance. So, oh, haven't cool. even shared that with our esteemed guest yet. So, all right. Speaking of our guests, why don't we move on and, and jump into our interview? Let's go ahead and introduce uh, our guest. Our guest today is Ryan Coglin. Ryan, as many of you may know, has over near has nearly 30 years of working experience and working with leaders of all shapes and sizes. Uh, I think he's got at least 30 years. I'm trying to guess his age. So Ryan spent 20 plus years in the United States Marine Corps, where I know he's served many tours overseas. I think at least five tours in countries like Iraq, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. During his time, he spent much time in strategic planning and helping our Marines do their job well in a difficult environment. So Ryan has undoubtedly encountered multiple leaders during his career, and we look forward to hearing some of that experience today. As he returned to stateside and began to join a civilian life, he embarked on a career with NTRA Consulting, and that was roughly eight years ago now. Love to go into the details of that story, but we'll save that for a separate podcast. But Ryan is very much an expert in project portfolio management, project management in general, and overall operations management. He currently serves as NTRA's Senior Director of Operations, overseeing all delivery functions of our team. Welcome, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike and Courtney. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you're you for welcome. Being Glad here. to hear it. Glad you're here. All right. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions, Ryan. Hopefully you can keep up with us. I know okay. uh, this kind of pressure is probably something you've never seen before in all your days in the military, but we'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Why don't we start off with an easy one just to warm things up. Why did you decide to go into the military in the first place? Great question. I don't think I had my eyes set on it from like a very early age. When I was looking at colleges and things, I had certain interests and I was not necessarily opposed to it and I was not necessarily running towards it, but I ended up going to the Naval Academy and it was a good fit. And it was actually a much better fit than I even anticipated. So. It was great. But during my time there, I was I learned that I really wanted to, I would much rather be in the Marine Corps than the Navy. The Navy's great, but for what I wanted to do, Marine Corps was really what interested me. I didn't know what I wanted to do in the Marine Corps, but as I started doing my initial training, finishing up at the Naval Academy and then my initial training in the Marine Corps, the infantry started calling out to me more and more. And that's, uh, that's what I chose to do. And I did it actually for 22 years. And actually, I heard you say five, I actually did Nine deployments during my 20 Nine years. deployments. So, 
Yeah, but uh, I loved it. So that's why I stayed and it was very enjoyable. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't realize you were the, in the infantry, to be quite honest, but <laughs> but that's amazing. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I can't remember if we've told me that before, but nonetheless, that's uh, still awesome. We appreciate your service to our country and definitely learned much from you and your experience since we've gotten to know you better in the last eight years. One thing I I am certain of, I believe, is that during your time in the military, you got to encounter many different leadership styles. And I'm curious of if I'm accurate. I think that's probably true. And how did you adapt to those different styles? And were there times when you just didn't adapt to those styles? Yeah, I, de- I definitely did encounter many different leadership styles. I would say I adapted to them all. I don't know how well I adapted to them all. So I adapted to some better than others. Some were very challenging, but I guess uh, adapting at the bare minimum is surviving. I made it through a lot of them. Some were very, very challenging environments and stuff. And as I was going through, though, I also I learned to look at my leaders and pick out the things that I did value and what made the, the great leaders great individuals and what made the leaders who I thought could use some work, what, why, where they were weak. And I tried to emulate that as best I could, emulate the positive and avoid the negative and just did my best. But I definitely had some, I consider some extremely good leaders out there that I could follow. What leadership style would you say that you've carried over from what you learned in the military over into your work in the life sciences? I don't know if I have a name for the style. I can think of a couple similarities in the leaders that I truly, truly loved working for. I don't know if we can come up with a name to the style, but they all they were all based around a couple things. They on the front end, they were consistent in their messaging and their expectations. They were very clear, very, very articulate in their expectations. That goes to clarity. But so up front, they were very clear. You knew what was expected of you. And then some of them was very, very demanding. So it doesn't mean that it was simple, but they were very demanding, but very clear. And then as you follow on, they were consistent in that guy. But a, a telling characteristic of all those individuals that they were very tolerant. And that was one of the things that I, I value probably more than anything else in what I consider the great leaders. And when I say tolerant, it doesn't mean that they just glossed over mistakes or anything like that. But they knew that the best way to grow and uh, have people deliver and perform beyond their expectation is to be. So one one individual was, you know, he would always say, I don't want you to ever make the same mistake twice. Outside of that, I don't care what mistakes you made as long as they're made with the right intentions in mind. And so whenever a mistake was made, and there were some big mistakes, whenever a mistake was made, we'd always stop and, and assess the situation, what led to the decision that, that caused the mistake. And all those things, you can do a good assessment of it. And there was never any blame, never any retribution, never anything. It was always done in a very positive manner. And you came out of it feeling like you learned from it and you grew from it. And he was genuine. And uh, I will tell you that if you made the same mistake twice, which I did on one occasion, yeah, you you paid for it. And But I totally respected it. I knew when I didn't made that mistake the second time that I was going to have to answer for it. But those are some examples. So being clear up front, being tolerant, I think is a huge one. And then being being able to look at a situation, giving honest and genuine feedback. Well, I appreciate that. And I agree with that as your leadership style. We, we call it Ryan ask behind your back, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But 
We can we can term a new leadership style. That'll be the name of the episode. Ryan esque. Ryan esque. <laughs> it's funny because in a meeting, I think it was yesterday, we were talking about when your supervisor put something on your calendar last minute and you like you get really scared or nervous. Oh no, what did I do now? Or what what's up now? So we were joking about putting everything is fine after or on the meeting invite. <laughs> Just to clue you in that it's okay. That's a good idea. We'll call that. I'm not sure what we'll call that one, but we'll call we'll put that on there as well. So yeah, <laughs> very good. So Ryan, I, I think the military probably gave you a lot of great skills. Leadership being one of them. How did you use those skills to, to venture into a completely different industry when you started looking at joining a company focused on the life sciences? I found out over time, so it definitely didn't didn't jump out. I think jumping into a whole new industry new environment. I was definitely, I think I tried to watch and learn a lot. So I wasn't really pushing myself out there early on. But I found over time that I think it's the exact same thing. I've tried to be the same way and that I try and give very clear guidance and expectations up front. Sometimes I'm not successful, but I'll do my best. I try and be tall. And I, I actually love that when someone's working on something, even if there's a mistake, it's like, okay, Let's look at what the impact is. Is it really that serious? Let's figure it out and let's figure out a way to solve it. And then there's one other element to it. I kind of skipped over before, but it's always being professional. So showing people respect, just being courteous, being friendly as much as possible. I know at times I, I lose my temper. My kids will attest to that, but just trying to be professional. So I tried to apply the same thing here. I would say that the, the bigger challenge for me is that it's definitely in an industry where I have less experience. So Sometimes the, the real detailed subject matter is probably my area of weakness. At the same time, I get around that by not, not shying away from it. I'll acknowledge what I don't know and try and learn from it. Yeah, that was something I was hoping to ask you is I noticed you are really excellent at asking questions, especially when it, you're in new territory somewhere, for instance, onboarding with the most recent project. So is there a, a method or an approach as to how you, you dive in and you ask every single little detail and really clarify those points that need to be clarified? I don't know if there's a method. I guess a couple of things I learned early on. So the Mike talked about the fact that I was a strategic planner. So I did work on like a the biggest plan I ever worked on was like a nationally directed plan, one of nine plans directed by the president. And you should, even after months upon months of developing this thing and really defining the problem. When you get really, really into it, you should be able to explain that thing in really two minutes. Big picture. Here's what we're doing in this problem. Here's the problem. Here's what we're doing to solve it. Or, or if the problem arrived, in our case, it was a contingency plan. Here's what we would do to solve this national level problem or international level problem. And it's kind of the same way. If you can, whatever you're working on, if you can very clearly and simply articulate it, then you, then you truly understand it. And if you can't, and that's kind of what I use for my measure, can I articulate it? So until I can articulate something very clearly, I'll just keep asking questions. And then when I know I can articulate it very clearly and simply, then I think it's clear to everyone. I also learned over time, it was very hard at first, but as I ask questions, I, I am now very, very much less embarrassed about what I don't know. Early on, it was. I try and force myself to ask questions, but it was... I was insecure about it at times. The older I get, the less insecure I am because a lot of times when you're asking a question, people don't want to admit it, but they don't know the answer either. And that's okay. 
that's knowing that they don't know the answer is as sometimes as good as getting an actual answer and we know where we're starting from. So I guess the, the t- when I can explain it very simply, then I know I understand it and don't feel embarrassed about asking any question. That's kind of my two principles. Yeah, thank you for that. I think I employed something like that a little earlier today where I had somebody ask me to pull some information off an engineering schematic. And I, I, I'm not an engineer. I've, I've never seen anything like this before. And so in this codes of codes of numbers, I was so confused. And I'm like, this is really not my area of expertise. This is my role, but engineering's not it. I'm not a content expert. Could you please help? And so they were more than more than happy to help clarify and point out the info I needed. But yeah, rather than my former approach, which was nod and say, okay, and then try to figure it out later, it doesn't really work. So being being forthcoming, I think, as you've mentioned, and asking those questions and admitting when you need more clarification is essential. What I also think is very neat about that is that when you ask questions, nine times out of ten, people are excited to help you and, and provide answers. People aren't, very rarely do people get upset or get angry. But if you ask a genuine question, no matter how stupid it may seem, people are usually very excited to, to help you out, to help you understand something. It's kind of nice. Totally agree. We're all learning as we go through this world and I think that uh, includes every day that we step foot in the office. So great to hear that advice. Hey, Courtney, a lot of our clients we work with have great ideas on how to improve their business, but they just run into challenges that seem to get in the way of accomplishing their goals. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, of course. It happens all the time. I've seen clients struggle with a lack of visibility into all the work that's happening within their organization. I've seen clients that are focused on manual tasks, which takes away from focusing on the actual project work. And I've seen leadership struggle to make decisions due to lack of timely information. That's so true. It seems like just knowing the problems to fix is only half the battle. How'd you help your clients address those challenges? Well, we of course first work with our client to design a structured management process that fits their culture and team. And in a lot of situations, we bring in tools like Smartsheet to help the entire project team be more efficient. With the help of Smartsheet, we were able to create dashboards, automate routine tasks, and have the information ready in real time to help support leadership's decision-making. Wow, it sounds like you not only execute on the project, but your work helps everyone get more done with less work. I hope so. Smartsheet is a powerful tool, and my clients seem to be really happy with it. That's great. Now, if somebody needs help on their project, what should they do? They should check out nra.com and schedule a call with us to see how we can help. Sounds like a great idea. Well, thank you. Ryan, I'm curious if you've seen any correlation or similarities or dissimilarities between either leadership styles or how you might deal with leaders or direct reports when you're within the military versus when you have been working within either the consulting environment here at Enteray or within a client environment at one of your clients at a life sciences company? That's a great question. So I will tell you, I mean, there's definitely correlations and there's definitely differences. One difference is I would argue that military, probably not surprising, has a lot more leaders who are very, very direct and forceful. And you can even be that way without being unprofessional. So, but it's very direct. I mean, that's what the military is based on, discipline, just following, following orders, understanding orders. It's not blindly following. There's definitely a lot of that. 
I would say that I still probably value the, the same basic principles in a leader. I talked about some of those things before, but there's one other thing that I probably value more than anything else. It's, it's just what is what is the leader's true intentions? Are they are they well intentioned? Do they really care about the people they're leading? That's probably the most important thing because if they care about the people they're leading, then who cares what where they're good and where they're bad? You work with them, you help them out. It's it's amazing. That's a, that's a great person to work for. I would say that's a very similar. I always looked at that in the Marine Corps. And as I had leaders, if someone complained about something, I would always say, you know what? We all have our shortcomings first off. And second thing is the one you're complaining about is probably the most genuine, genuine leader cares more about his or her Marines than anyone else. And people forget that sometimes. So I probably, probably value that the most, even in the civilian world, as, as well as when I was in the military. One thing I, I used to see a lot of particularly in industry, was a desire to drive a consensus decision. And it sounds like it just all impression of the military outside of the military would be that that would would not be a common occurrence within the military. Assuming that's correct and that you maybe have encountered a need to try to help get everybody on board before you move something forward. Is that, is that true or is that not true? No, you know, it's a good point, but I would say probably it's, it's less than you think in the military. And it's, I think the same principles apply. So in the military, when you're working on something and worked on a lot of strategic plans, operational level plans, and you're working those with a team. And as the, as the planning leader, you do get everyone's input. And I knew myself as the planning leader, I'm the one who has to, make the decision and move it forward to the, the commander who's ever going to approve it. But I would take everyone's input. And when I'm presenting to the commander, I better be ready to share everyone's input. And what were the, the countering opinions? Why were they different? What are their worries? What are their risks? And if I can't speak, if I couldn't speak to that, that's a problem. Because a commander, he or she wants to know exactly what the challenges are. They want to make the most well-informed decision. So I think maybe the only difference would be that in the military, there isn't the need to feel like you have consensus, but you better get everyone's input. And then as the leader and the decision maker, everyone understood you make the decision that uh, you feel is best and then you live by it. I think that is a key difference is the need to get consensus versus the need to get input. I'll share a story years ago, going back a long time, I worked at a client where they had such a desire to get consensus that they would pass around a marble jar when key decisions needed to be made. And you had to put your marble in the particular jar and whichever jar had the most marbles, that's the decision that was made. I think that was one of many techniques they tried to use in order to, to get to consensus. But I definitely love your, love the approach of Yes, we need input, but at some point we've got to make a decision and someone has to be in charge of that. In both those scenarios, how would you deal with people who might not agree with what the decision is or might even be a detractor if they're at a life science organization versus, you know, the military? On the military side, I always I felt it was relatively easy because I would get everyone's input. And then the, the first thing I would do, again, knowing I was the decision maker, I actually had no problem making the decision and then standing by it. But I would always highlight, okay, got everyone input, and I, and I would acknowledge those who disagree. That's the first thing. And you have to, if you can demonstrate that you are listening to them, 
and you're not just you know avoid ignoring them because they have a different opinion but say hey i i understand I, I know i'm the one who has to make this decision here's my decision i also know that some issues and challenges as brought up by so and so are this this and this and then i would even explain why i made the decision i know a lot of times people think in the military you don't ever have to explain your why you make a decision but the truth is that's good leadership you don't always get to do it sometimes you don't have time to do it but if you do explain your decision and people don't have to agree with it that's the other thing is acknowledge they have a differing opinion acknowledge that they don't have to agree with it but this is the decision that i'm making and i'm going forward with and uh, that's that's how at least the military side i like it awesome yeah I think those skills could probably be applied to, you know, obviously clients as well in life science organizations with, you can have a, a broad perspective, but if there's reason behind why a direction was chosen, then hopefully everybody would be on the same page and willing to keep driving the initiative forward. Excellent point. Iron, I'm curious, I wonder if you could share with us some of the key people who were leaders in your career that stand out. And maybe a little story about why. There's definitely a lot, and, and I, I'll try and keep it quick. When I think of military leaders, there's two that jump jump into my mind right off the bat. John Holden was my battalion commander when I was a company commander on deployment. And he was the one who, better than anyone else, exemplified that thing about, here's my guidance, encouraged us to take initiative, make things happen. And then not more than anyone else I've ever worked with, he did not, there was no, what was the word I'm looking for? He was very tolerant in that he didn't hold it over you if something went wrong or we made a mistake. He exemplified that better than anyone else. And then we, but then we would take the time to assess what happened and why we did it wrong. And he was also the one who would don't ever make the same mistake twice. And, uh, so just an amazing individual. Another one was my, the MU commander. I was the OPSO operations officer for MU, which is a 2500 Marine and Sailor unit. He was the MU commander. We deployed overseas. He was probably one of the most intelligent individuals I ever met, very well organized and uh, very consistent in his messaging. But we planned a whole bunch of operations overseas and just had a tremendous, tremendous uh, deployment. Loved working for him, probably the most demanding person I ever worked for. I mean, he would constantly, constantly hammer people. I actually took a lot of pride in that. I would, in my group, my operations section, we had 30 or 40 people. I would never let him get to anyone in my section. He had to hammer me on everything. And it was like a little battle between he and I, but we had a tremendous relationship and just very consistent, very, very professional, although very demanding. Another great individual. And then actually, I'll probably summarize the last group is there's three individuals all in high school age. They were all athletic coaches, but tremendous examples. I'll give one tiny example. I'll move on. I talked about making a decision and being genuine about it. I can think of one of my coaches. These three individuals were all the same. Tremendous, tremendous leaders. But one individual, I, w I rode crew in high school. I got That's why I went to the Naval Academy to row crew there. But when I rode crew, they have this thing called seat race where you actually fight for your seat in a boat. And I was fighting for the very first boat and I beat an individual. And when we got on the dock, he acknowledged. He said, you won the seat. He told the whole team. Ryan won the seat race, but I am not going to put him in first boat. I think both boats rode better the other way. And I will tell you, it's a still a lesson, obviously, I cherish today because I hated that individual for about two days. And then I totally got over it. And I thought he was one of the most amazing, amazing leaders because he has to make a hard decision. And he made a very genuine decision. He didn't try and hide behind anything. Uh, he was very genuine. So 
you won the race, but I'm making a decision otherwise. And a big lesson for me. That's pretty cool. Now, help me understand. So you get to fight for the seat in the boat. Is there skill set that goes with each of the seats? Not a skill set for each of the seat. What, it doesn't matter what seat you're fighting for. What, what happens is you get two boats next to each other, same size boat. So say you're in high school, we used to row four-man boats and race each other. So you have one individual. If, if you two are competing for a, if I'm competing against Joe, whoever, for this, for a seat in first boat, then he'll put me in the, in this, and he'll put the two boats together. He'll have me in one seat and Joe in the other seat and we race. And then he switches us and you race again. And if everything's even, the boat should win by the same differential. But if, if the boat I'm in won the first rate by one seat and then he switches me and now I win by two seats, then I win the seat race. And it's probably the most accurate way to make decisions on who gets into what boat. I thought you were literally like fighting him. That's what to I thought get too. To the seat in the boat. Yeah, I thought it was like on your mark, get set, go, and then people would run, and yeah. you try to like punch the other guy oh, to get no. in the seat. No, it's a it's a race. It's I just like sorry, probably a horrible explanation, but <laughs> you are you are rowing. It's a way to assess how effective you are as a rower, but it is head to head, and it is it's brutal, and it, it's awesome though, and. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, for most times, when you win, you're in the, in the boat. Got it. So does it help to determine that the boats are equal? It doesn't have to. Do you switch, you switch boats? No. Yeah, so it, what matters is when you do that first race, what is the difference in the race? If one boat ends up a whole boat length ahead, then if they are truly equal rowers, when you row again, that same boat should end up a whole boat length ahead. When I was a kid... Their boys and girls club, I think they had like a rowing opportunity or, you know, field trip for a couple weeks in the Newport Harbor, Newport Bay. So I would go and I thought it would be all fun. I did not realize, and I was probably 14 at the time, it murders your arms. It murders your whole body pretty much. So I would always be the weak rower and then they would be like, you have to get out and swim alongside the boat. But I also was a terrible swimmer at still to this day. So then they just leave me in the middle of the harbor, like floating along. Oh my God. Yeah, it was funny. They'd have to circle around and then I'd have to like roll back in the boat and then carry me back with Courtney. So you couldn't row, so they dumped you out? Yeah, they dumped me out and then they went back and then they realized like I really couldn't row and I really couldn't row. So or then swim. they had to come save me. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you that that is not normal behavior for a Really? Group. I'm I'm yes. glad you say that because I was that's, like, well, like, oh, I guess horrible. this isn't for me. And no, then uh, horrible, I was like honestly. floating back like a little otter. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So wow. Now the most rowing I get is at the gym on the rowing machine for like maybe five minutes. I was going to say, like, my rowing experience is on the life rower when I was in high school. I used to love the life. I would beat the little guy every time. But it's on the screen. You got to race against the guy. And I was pretty good at it. Maybe I should have tried out for crew. Like really tried out? Or just take photos to send to the college pretending you're part of crew? Oh, there you go. There you go. So (laughs) I've heard about people doing that. Yeah, <laughs> and I do like to say that I was recruited for rowing to college, and I did row on the team. Yes. So. That's great. I I always like to ask people what their second favorite college football team is, and so I thought I might as well just ask you that question, Ryan. 
Oh man, that's a loaded question. I, I'm seeing if I can come up with something else, but I'll have to go with Notre Dame. <laughs> Notre second. Notre Dame. <laughs> Most people's second favorite, of course. But I knew the answer. I have to go with Navy first, of course. So that's right. See, I didn't. I didn't force you to say Navy. Uh, Notre Dame was your first. You can I, say UC Santa Cruz Banana Slugs football the team. That's my favorite. Doesn't exist. Mascot, I think, is the Banana Slugs. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a Santa Cruz alumni, but you can actually go and pick them up like after it rains when they all come out. And when I was a tour guide, I used to take like groups and families around and you'd see them. So I'd run over and pick them up and then I'd pass it around the circle as I was talking. And I got in so much trouble for that because apparently there's an acid on your hands that's harmful to the banana slug. So I was murdering the banana slugs on my tour. So lame. But I love them. So they're cool. Yeah, I heard we were in Hawaii and I heard there this to watch out for the very big slugs. I don't think they call them banana slugs, but they're telling us that they could be poisonous or something like that. So I have an aversion to slugs now. So you don't just go pick them up? I don't go pick them up, no. I used to pick up the ones with the shell, and but I wouldn't touch the actual slug. So oh. <laughs> I was against that. I think we have a little game to play here, don't we, Courtney? Yeah, we do. And it it does pertain to both military and science. So both of you, Mike, Ryan, you guys can do your best. All right. Um, But essentially, so I have a list of acronyms and you guys have to guess what the acronym means and where it came from. Was it originally military or science? So, and I'm going to randomize them. So first one is ASAP. ASAP. That's military. Definitely. That is military. What I thought that mean? was just everyday vernacular. We do. Is that even an acronym? ASAP? <laughs> it's not a word. It's a word. <laughs> yeah. As soon as possible. There we go. Alrighty, next one. IRB. I know that one. I was gonna say it's gotta be a science one. It is. Life sciences, it's a investigational review board. Yes. Great job. What about a, okay, so I'll give you these two together, a CO versus a CA. CO is military. Yeah. CA, I assume, was science. It is. CO is a commanding officer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what CA is. So okay. I don't hear CA alone. I always hear CA or Kappa. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that steals my next one, which was Kappa. Thanks, Ryan. Okay. And, you know, <laughs> We use that in the military too. So Kappa? I was wondering, yeah, is that is that a science term only or did that originate in the military or anything? You know, I've never been through the military, so I couldn't tell you. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a life science term, so. Yeah, we what use that it? term as maintenance related a lot on all our vehicles and everything. Okay. Huh. I've heard it like even in NASA. I think it's a broad, a broad, broadly used term, so. HIPAA. I know that one. That's science. Yeah. That's science. Yeah, that's medical. Now, the Health Information Protection, Portability and Protection Act. Yeah, Portability and Accountability Act. Yeah. Awesome. And then TIA. I don't know this one. Yeah. I'm trying to think if it's, I don't know it either. It's more medical. It's a transient medical. ischemic attack. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, it's like a stroke. Mini stroke. Yeah, mini stroke. 
I know. I thought it's interesting because whenever I see that, I'm always like, oh, transient ischemic attack. But it also means like things in advance for like, you know, just general slang. That's for texting. Yeah. TIA. <laughs> TFTI. All right. FUBAR. Definitely military. I won't say what that one means. <laughs> <laughs> we had to search that. I, I, I had heard it many years ago. I couldn't remember. I searched it up and I found out. Yeah. We looked it up yesterday. I was I was watching a cat show because I'm learning about cats, obviously from my catastrophe. And there's a cat named Fubar, and I just thought it was funny. And then yeah. I found out it was a military term, and then I figured out what it was. I was like, oh, well, it's even funnier. <laughs> How funny! I actually thought that was a very common term that everyone knew, though. I'm surprised yeah. at how few people know it. So, no, I think it's used as a word more so, and people don't really know what the acronyms mean, what the letters mean. So. The origin? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll do ADME, A-D-M-E. Got to be science. Yeah, I'm thinking, I don't know what it is. It's absorption, distribution, metabolism, excretion. So it's, yeah, pharmacokinetics. Nice. Mm-hmm. So it's how you evaluate a drug, its action in in a human. And then... Last one is CBER. I know that that is a government organization, I believe, right? It Did is. Did you say CBER? Yeah. CBER. How do you spell it? C B E R. I'm not sure. It's a Center for Biologic Evaluation and Research. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So a- when you when you send drugs in to go be evaluated, or your your BLA, your IND, those types of applications for new products, they have to be evaluated by CBER. Very cool. This was awesome. So we've come to the end of our, our podcast. I want to say thank you to Ryan Coglin, our, our very first guest on our Leaders in Life Sciences podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, yeah. we enjoyed it. Thank you, Courtney. Great to uh, share this time with you. Look, I'm looking forward to our next one. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Well, thanks, Ryan. It was great having you on the podcast. Uh, one more thank you to to Ryan for joining us. And I'm going to bring on our special guest, Courtney. Uh, I've got Emily Green here, one of our consultants, to kind of give us some of her thoughts on how this went. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. So thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. But uh, first, I'm going to go to Courtney and kind of see what she thinks. What do you think, Courtney? Yeah, thanks, Mike. And thanks for joining us, Emily. I really enjoyed talking to Ryan. I think he's one of the best leaders in the business. And some of the things that really stood out to me was his application of this continuous improvement mindset that he took from the military. And that even if you did something well the first time, there's always room to do better. And there's always little things that we can improve upon to make our ways of working or make execution of what we're we're trying to accomplish much more successful. So I thought that was really excellent. And then the other thing that stood out to me was the way he was speaking about adapting to leadership styles and that you want to emulate positive leadership and avoid the negative. And there's always something to learn from the people around us, even if it's what not to do. So you could definitely take those traits from the positive leaders and the effective leaders you see and emulate that in leadership where you are and growing where you're planted. So I thought that was super fantastic. And 
that one of the leadership styles that he really tries to emulate and to stick with is being clear and consistent in messaging and expectations. It's difficult when you're in life sciences and you're in a wicked learning environment where everything's constantly changing around you and you can't learn because you don't have that consistent foundation. And so by providing that consistent, clear messaging and consistent expectations to your team, you're able to help them learn and grow a little bit more effectively. So I thought his points were really excellent and really spoke to being a leader in the life sciences. Makes sense. I totally agree. How about you, Emily? What'd you think? Yeah, I agree, Courtney. I think I guess bouncing a bit off your continuous improvement point, for me, one of the things that really hit home for me was about making mistakes being okay. And I think that links in a lot with continuous improvement because I think if your goal is to continuously improve and be willing to change things and adjust and respond and react to feedback, I think that's also when you make mistakes and saying like, okay, I made a mistake. Now I need to stop, assess the situation and grow from that experience. And I think the way he said it was that like, I think the best way to grow is to be willing to make a mistake. And I think that speaks to a couple messages. One being that if you're not willing to try something new, then you're not going to grow. I think you have to give yourself the space and opportunity to grow. And then also making sure that there's never any blame when you do make those mistakes. Because I think the point is, is that mistakes are just that. They're a mistake. No one intends to do it. And it's really just an opportunity to say, hey, what went wrong? What went right? And how can we move this forward from where we're at now? And I think kind of like culminating that in the idea of like not making the same mistake twice is really saying like, we're going to assess and evaluate why something went wrong so that we don't do it again in the future. But like really that first mistake and mistakes in general, they're really just opportunities for us to do something differently or do it better. And I think that was a point that Ryan, I think really effectively made, especially within the health sciences and life sciences industry that like, we're not always going to have the answer or exactly what the perfect solution is. We just have the best that we can do. And sometimes that involves mistakes. That's awesome. I think that's a great point. And uh, I can attest to, to Ryan's philosophy on that. And one of the things that it reminds me about is uh, a book. The book is called WTF. It's a great book and, and it stands for willing to fail, not what uh, you might think it could have stood for, but it's a great book. It espouses that same philosophy that if you're willing to fail, then you're going to get better because because you're willing to fail. And sometimes you do fail, but how can you can can you get better from that? So definitely like like those points. A couple other takeaways that I had. One was I thought maybe just some advice. I thought that was really great was when Ryan was talking about these very very complex situations that he was dealing with back when he was in the military and on you know global scale discussions that he was having to present on. And applying that to any situation that we're in, if we can take these very complex situations and boil them down to a two-minute explanation of what we're trying to accomplish, that type of advice, I think, can serve us in almost any situation that we're in, be it with a client, be it with our friends, be it with our kids, whatever that might be. If we can take these complex situations and boil it down to very simple two-minute explanation, I think we will all be happier and more, more productive. And the other thing that I just to, I want to add one more because I thought was really valuable was this point about asking questions and not being afraid to not know the answer, right? If, if you don't know something and you're asking questions that when you ask questions of the people who are more knowledgeable, they generally get excited about it. And, and I thought that was a great 
point. Like people, people like to share knowledge and they, if you're genuine and you generally ask questions to learn and, and get, prove yourself, people are willing to help you do that. So I thought that was a great point. Being willing to do that, I think is going to be something very helpful for, for all of us as we grow in our own abilities and leadership styles as well. Cool. Well, thanks for your, your thoughts there. And thank you, uh, Ryan, again, for joining us. And it was a great, uh, great conversation. Any parting thoughts, guys? Are we good to go? Yeah, I think everybody brought up some great points and there's a lot we can learn from Ryan. So I hope our listeners enjoyed the conversation too. And with that, I I think we're good. So have a great day, everybody. Sounds great. And thanks, Emily, for joining us and sharing your thoughts. We'll look forward to our next interview coming up soon. Take care, everybody. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, let's wrap this up. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. That really helps us out. And also, leave us a five-star rating. That's a big help, too. If you'd like, please feel free to share your thoughts in the comments as well. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time on the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by NTRA Life Sciences Consulting, where people drive results. Take care.